Welcome to Shine Online with Ellie Swift. I'm your host, marketing and mindset coach, Ellie Swift, here to help you connect with your clients, create life-changing results in your online business, and shine neon bright online. I built a multi-six-figure business in under two years and, more importantly, have supported my clients to get amazing results. My clients have generated five- and six-figure launches, tripled their income, and completely transformed their lives using my signature framework, the Swift Marketing Method. In this podcast, I take you a layer deeper into my business, my life, and my mind. If you're an ambitious entrepreneur, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello there. I am so excited to introduce you to our guest for today, Dixie Crawford. Dixie is a Barkindji woman from Broken Hill and Bree Warriner in Western New South Wales. She's a self-proclaimed rebel, reality TV junkie, and Hilltop Hoods ride or die. She is also an online business owner who works with her clients through one-to-one coaching, group programs, and public speaking to understand the role we each play in allyship and anti-racism action. Dixie is a big believer in the idea that if we face the hard stuff today, tomorrow will get better. For context, when George Floyd was murdered earlier in 2020 and Black Lives Matter began, I took a long, hard look at myself and my understanding of my own country and the history of the First Nations people within Australia. What unfolded from that place was a deep knowing that I had very little education about my own country's black history outside of what I'd learned in my very white and very one-sided education. That was when I came across Dixie and I began learning from her through her Allies in Action program. In this episode, you're going to learn from Dixie about why it's so important to understand the history of black people within your country your own blind spots when it comes to racism, and how you can create change through important conversations. As someone who has so much to learn still, I hope you'll find this episode as useful as I did recording it for you. Enjoy learning from Dixie. Dix, I've had the pleasure of working with you through your Allies in Action program. And something that we've discussed a lot throughout the last couple of months is really understanding the lived experiences of those that you're learning to, learning from rather, listening to Mm. and having conversations with. So first up, can you share a little bit with us about your lived experience growing up as an Aboriginal woman in white Australia? In other words, tell us about your childhood. Tell me about my deadliness. Um, (laughs) So I come from a little town called Brewarina. I was born on country in Broken Hill, which is in far western New South Wales. Red dirt country, right? So sun is incredibly hot, like 
just beautiful place, big plains, you know, you could, the day just, you know, never ends essentially there when you're looking at it. I love home. It's beautiful. A lot of Blackfellas don't have the privilege of growing up on country, right? Because when we look at the political context of what has happened in this country around dispossession of land and the stolen generations and massacres and all of these things, which we sometimes fail to realise were the reality for black people in this country. So I certainly honour and recognise that I am a very privileged person to be able to have been born on country, lived on country and had the really strong foundational aspects of my identity formed while on country, right? Because I feel like I always have my ancestors with me, whether it's my my grandmother, my great-grandmother, uncles and aunties who have passed into the dream time, but also knowing about my people, where they come from and who we have always been. So I'm a country girl. So I was born in Broken Hill, then I grew up on country also in Brewarrina, which is another really tiny town. I think there's about, you know, maybe there were 2,000 people that grew up there that were there when I was growing up and, you know, maybe 1,900 of them were my cousins, you know. (laughs) So I kind of grew up all around family, which was really good, and finished high school in Broken Hill. And then I moved to Dubbo. Then I moved to Dubbo, another place in central western New South Wales. Did some university, studied Bachelor of Health Science, but I have a lot of brothers and sisters, a lot of cousins. My grandmother had 13 children. So I come from a very, very big family and my dad's got quite a few brothers and sisters as well. So lots of cousins that I grew up with. And I live in Sydney now, but what's what's something I can share with you about my childhood? So many important lessons. I was really close with my grandmother consistently with it, like so much to the point where she had a king single, but we had to make sure it was big enough just for the two of us, right? Because I would always be there. Like I would always be sleeping, um, just always be with my, my nan. And she taught me a lot of really important lessons about life, about relationships, about connection to people, connection to country, respect, and also, I guess, about standing in your truth and using your voice, even when you feel uncomfortable or you make other people feel uncomfortable. I come from a really long line of strong Aboriginal women. Well, I love that so much. And I know that, you know, having the privilege of of having you in my life now, that you reference family a lot and that family is incredibly important to you. Do you think that your childhood has impacted the path that you've taken? In other words, do you feel, and and I guess the answer to that is always going to be yes. So Mm. to, to get more specific, do you feel like having this connection to your cousins and, you know, your brothers and sisters and your family and that desire for them to be able to succeed and do whatever it is that lights them up. Do you feel like that's contributed to the path that you've taken? Mm, mm, yeah, definitely. The one thing that I love that I just celebrate and and value and honour so much from my family is courage and people's willingness to jump into things, right? And it's true. You know, we come from a tiny, tiny little town, right? There are probably more kids in the local high school down the road than what there are in the town that I come from, right? And so a lot of my family and my cousins, they left left town, left Bree, 
and they've gone out, they've gone to university. I love my country town, but at times there's not that many opportunities there for people, right? So I understand. And that can be for, you know, like both white and black people, right? Like there's limited opportunities, right? So you go out, you do this exploration, you kind of find yourself in the big wide world. Sometimes you go back, sometimes you don't go back and sometimes you create your life somewhere else. And so I have cousins that have demonstrated to me what it takes to build yourself a life away from your family. So there's not too many of us that live in Sydney, but we've all kind of made our life and our home here as well. Like we always go home. We know where home is. Home is where the heart is, right? So we always have that connection to our family back home. But I think what I love the most about my family is that they've always taught me to do things no matter how challenging it is, right? Like face face off with adversity, face off with your fears, face off with all the anxieties that you have about messing it up, about getting it wrong, about, you know, whatever it might be. So that's, those are really important lessons for me um, that have shaped my identity. And I guess what gives me the courage to be bold and to be audacious and to be like effort, I'm going to try it anyway. Even if I mess it up, even if I get it wrong, even if I look stupid, I'm still going to try something. So I kind of like that in my family that they've always been that circle of security for me my aunties, my uncles, and my big cousins, that I've taken courage from them to go forward. But then I also think about my little cousins, right? And I think, I want to show you what's possible as well, Mm. right? So even when I kind of step into that place of um, fear, when fear turns up for me and I think, oh, I can't do this, it's not going to work out, whatever, right? Like all this internal talk that we have as women, right? Like just amplified. Then I think about those kids, you know, people who are watching and there are days when I just think it's going to go all wrong for me. I think about, well, I'm not going to die, right? Like I'm not going to die. So just do it anyway. Just do it anyway. And because, you know, there are people that are always watching you and they are taking, they're watching what you do. They're thinking about whether or not they can do what you're doing. Like I always, I I kind of think about that because I think that's important because I thought about that. I thought like that when I was a kid and I still think like that now when I see older, you know, my older cousins and aunties and uncles stepping into something. I'm like, oh, I can can do that as well. That's possible for me. You very much champion conversations around diversity and you are a leader within your field. You've also worked in the health sector, I know, for a really long time. And I, I would love for you to share a little bit about that background in a moment. But just before we do, what came first for you when you were a kid? Like, did you know, you know, that you wanted to move to Sydney and work in an office or like what, what was the first start of that journey? Can I tell you, um, I was always going to move to the big smoke, Yeah, but the big smoke was Dubbo. It was literally <laughs> Dubbo. And so it's funny, right? Because I packed my bags very quickly after the HSC and I moved to Dubbo and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to the big lights. I'm chasing the big lights. And I got to Dubbo and I loved it though. Like it's because that was so big for me, right? Because I came from a little tiny town and it just got bigger and bigger. Whereas now I've lived in Sydney for 12 years. And when I first moved to Sydney, I lived in the Eastern suburbs and then I lived in Marrickville. And then I lived in Bankstown and then I lived in Parramatta and now I live in Penrith. And so all of those suburbs, right, it's gone from the water to just further out to the mountains, which will eventually I'll go over the mountains and go back home, back out to country. So it's funny, right, because I've lived a lot of my life in Sydney 
because I thought I wanted to get away from the country, but now I just can't wait to get back to the country. And I'm like, why did COVID have to happen right now? Because we, me and my partner, we were supposed to be living in Orange on the 1st of August. Like that was our goal. Neck minute COVID, you know, so we can't go nowhere, can't do anything, can't get a job. Yeah. So for me, I did leave this country looking for something else. And now I know what I was looking for is kind of always there in the country. Like I'm a country girl at heart. Mm. that will resonate with a lot of people right like it's it's home it's the place so let's talk now about your work how did that start what was your education like at what point did you go you know this is the kind of work I want to do because it's always been in creating change and Mm. supporting other humans so tell us a little bit more about your your working journey oh god well I started at Baker's Delight (laughs) back in the day and I used to heat up, by the way, I just used to heat up the ham and cheese Danish squares to the perfect temperature where the cheese would melt, by the way, everyone. So, you know. So Baker's Delight is like a very Australian bakery. Yeah. It's it's the bomb. And you know what? The bap rolls are. Oh, I can't even go there. So good. So good, the bap rolls. Anyway, so away from the bakery, I guess my first real job was in mental health when I was Oh, I think I was about 19, actually. And then I did a health science degree, majoring in mental health. And then I worked in child protection for a little bit of time. And then I went to work in health. And I say the guts of my work, my working career has been in health. And before I started running my first business back in 2018, I was the manager of Aboriginal health at the Sydney Kids Hospital Network, which is the largest hospital in Sydney, I think on the East Coast that we have. Maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But it's a big hospital, right? Like, remember my little town of 2,000 people? There's 5,000 people that work at that network, that work in those two hospitals, right? So everything is big. Everything beyond 2,000 is wildly big for me. So I worked in PEDS. Oh, my God. It was the job for me where I really started to tap into and recognise the true concept of gratitude. So, you know, I I used to think to myself, oh, God, this is such a shit day or, like, my life is so hard or I kick my toe. And I'm like, girl, look where you are working. Look where you are. There are children that are here that are facing some of the toughest battles that most adults would not be prepared to face off with. And they do it with a smile on their face. And so it was a perfect job for me, I think, at this at this time in my life. I think I started working there when I was maybe 28 or 27. And I feel like starting to work at the kids' hospital, seeing what it is that I saw, understanding what I knew about human behaviour, but also about connection and gratitude and, and love and compassion and resilience, that prepared me for what I think the next 10 years of my life was going to be like or is currently like in terms of connecting with humans from a place of compassion and curiosity to help them understand the complexities of the social and political experience of Black people in this country and also how it is that we lean into conversations about racism because we don't talk about race. We don't talk about racism right? Because it's so taboo, it's so confronting. And before we even open our mouth, we've had this entire internal dialogue go on, which prevent us from even having a conversation. So that's my work background. And I kind of think that everything that I've done in my career has led me to where it is that I am right now with most people, right? That would resonate for a lot of people. Absolutely. And that's actually the perfect segue there, because I really want to talk about, you know, more 
of those race conversations and diversity and specifically what that looks like for everyone that might be listening who is, you know, I know my audience are predominantly online business owners. So really I want to talk specifically about, you know, what are the biggest challenges that you see right now in the online space specifically when it comes to conversations about race? Sisters, pull out a pen and some paper because we've got to dive into this. Look, I think (laughs) let's backtrack, right? So when we go back to June of this year, May, June, right, when Mr. Floyd died in America, he said, I can't breathe eight times. The world was completely outraged, right? And not because this was a black man that was dying. For me, I believe that the, the world was outraged because It was on social media. It was confronting. And then there was a dialogue and there was content that followed it that sparked something within people that was critical of their inaction. And so this outpouring of Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter tiles and, you know, all these load of S-H-I-T because I heard that kids listen to this podcast. And can I just say for those of you who have listened to me speak on my Instagram, for me to not say that full (laughs) word and spell it out was really difficult. So I'm proud of myself. I think think that word's okay. I did just for context, I gave Dix a little bit of a, we should be mindful of of the language beforehand. (laughs) So I love you for being so good about that. Kids, the only time you can say that word until you are maybe 13, 14 is when you kick your toe. That's it. That's the only time you can use those words. Or if your brothers or sisters are being punks, that's when you can say, don't be an S-head. Okay? Love it. That's when you're allowed to say that. So, yeah, so back to earlier this year, what was the most confronting thing for me? Well, I was like, where where have all these white people been? How come you're so confronted and so concerned at this point? Like, what is different for you at this stage? Because systemic racism and oppression and hurtful and harmful behaviours and ways of the way that society has always operated has been there for black people, right? Mm -hmm. So how come people are so concerned right now? And so I started to have conversations with people. And so, like, let's go back and think about this, right? Like, we all know the concept of what performative activism is, right? performative activism, performative action, performing, gammon, whatever, right? We call it gammon, black fellas mean silly, stupid, dumb, all this kind of stuff. And so we saw that come up for people and then we saw it disappear really quickly, Mm -hmm. right? Like I saw so many online business owners, marketing geniuses, really deadly copywriters, like, you know, because I'm a business owner, online business owner as well. So I saw these people doing all this deadly stuff and I'm like, but actually I've only ever seen white people on your social media pages. I bet you don't have a black client and not just, you know, like Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. It's highly likely you don't have anyone else that is a client that is not white, Right. So that's the reality. And so all of a sudden you guys are like, let's do this. You know, I'm so committed to this. I'm passionate about it. Like I literally saw influencers and online business owners post like literally images of band-aids. Right. And if you would see this, it was some company that made band-aids with different skin tones. Right. So the, the idea of the band-aid was to have a different skin, you know, so it's, it's inclusive of every single skin color. And I literally saw influencers putting a band-aid over racism and saying things like, I hope I make you proud about the work I'm going to do. Not that this is what I'm doing. That's it. Not I hope I make you proud, 
right? So for me, I saw all of this happening and then I was also getting inundated with questions. What I want from you, Dixie, is what books can I read? What I want from you, Dixie, is where can I get this information from you? What I want from you, Dixie, is how do I have this conversation? At this point, people are uh, Instagram followers and I turn those Instagram followers into customers very quickly because here's the thing that I knew. Most white people in this country and around the world were completely confronted about what was going on. They have always known that something has happened, right? But they can't find the words. And then there's this this internal dialogue that is happening and there's a lack of confidence and a lack of clarity in terms of how do I navigate these conversations around racism to get an outcome that I'm comfortable with, that I'm happy with. Because essentially, if you do nothing, when you see racism being perpetrated or you see some examples of um, hurtful and harmful behaviour because someone is black, is Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, then you are essentially giving it a high five. That's the reality, right? If you do nothing, that means you are happy with that. You are giving permission for that behaviour to continue to happen. And are we really that happy with oppression? Are we really okay with Aboriginal men and women and children being discriminated against because of our cultural identity? And that's the outcome, right? That's the outcome of our inaction. So the work that I started to do was really about how do I support white men and women to get the clarity themselves around what the fundamental problems are, what is the root cause of these issues, how to gain the confidence to be able to navigate these conversations and how to be a part of change. And so I've always kind of done some bits and pieces of work in my career because I'd always been, you know, like I'd always, I'd always be the black one in the team with white women. And I'd always be giving advice and people would always be looking for information from me. So I'm just kind of naturally, just naturally fell into facilitation of information and sharing with people what it is that I know, thinking, you know, giving recommendations, giving advice, all of this type of stuff. So it's been a very natural transition for me to go from doing that in my nine to five when I worked for the New South Wales government to now doing it in my business. I think it's so natural because of, you know, you being in those leadership roles, right? And you are so clear and articulate in the way that you communicate information, which encourages people to lean in. And I think, this is probably a really beautiful time in our conversation to just share the context as well or, you know, where I was at around this time and I guess how we've worked together as well over the last couple of months because when everything went down with George Floyd, I was very much exactly what you just said, you know, one of those white people who went, hang on a second, I'm not doing enough in my work. Mm. And so... I was absolutely on a journey when it came to educating myself, but it wasn't enough and I wasn't implementing any significant changes in my business at that point. And I had plans to, and I went, well, why have I not implemented these as a priority? And so the first thought that I had around that was, this is really fascinating that I, like you said, I'm so moved by what's happening in the States when I really have no context or understanding about Black people in my own country 
mm. and a deeper understanding of how I can serve and support and be united with them in my own country. And so that's what led me to you, Dix, as you know, because I went, okay, I, I want to have a greater awareness of what Aboriginal Australia looks like and, you know, really understand the stories and the ways that I have thought about the world to this point and where all of my blind spots are so that as a leader, I can create more effective change on an ongoing basis within my business. And it's been a confronting process <laughs> and so it should be. It's been fun. It's been a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> I think when you're supporting anyone through any kind of transformation, transformation, excellent word, mm. mindset work, all of those things, uh, you know, it can be a lot and you're such a great space holder in that. Okay, so say that they're, you know, for the people that are listening that are perhaps in a similar boat to me, what would you say to those people right now? So if you're a business owner and you know that you want to change the conversations around race, you know you want to create change within your business, what would you recommend? Get out of your head. That's the first thing, right? So Ellie just worked with me on my Allies in Action program. And the first session, right, stop talking to yourself. Stop having internal conversations with yourself about what you think is going to happen, what someone is going to think about you, what they, what someone will say back to you, what you think about yourself. Right? Just stop talking, point blank. Stop talking to yourself and start talking to other people because that internal conversation, right, you need to recognise what has informed that internal conversation, right? So if we were to look at how come it is that we were so heavily motivated and confronted emotionally and spiritually by what was happening in America, but we had no idea what was happening in this country. We have to understand why, right? So there are systemic causes to that. There are institutionalised causes to that. There are personal causes to that, right? Why it is that we have been disconnected to what the lived experience of Black Australia has been? And we need to understand that, right? Because sitting within that are things like unconscious biases, are things like the stories that we were told in school about what happened to black people in this country, right? And so one of the things that I just want to quickly talk about with that is that in the movie Rabbit Proof Fence, right, there is a scene in Rabbit Proof Fence where the chief protector of Aborigines is giving a presentation to a group of women in, I don't know, what it would have been called back in the day, but like a PowerPoint presentation, right? And he puts up this image of a white man, a black woman and a child. And he describes that when this white man has a child with this black woman, their child will be fair. And then the next generation of those children will be fair. And then eventually we breed out the Aboriginal, right? This is what he says in this movie. And what I think is interesting is that the government said the stolen generation was about protecting the Aboriginals, right? The Aborigines, the Aboriginals, right? That type of language. By the way, don't use that language, right? It's offensive. Aboriginal people. So they said this is for the protection of Aboriginal people, right? This is going to be better for them because so they can become civilised, so they that can be a part of Western society and have a better quality of life. So there's the intent or the story that is told and then there is the action. So the action of achieving that was taking us off country, 
putting us on missions, removing us from um, our parents, killing our family members, killing our kinship, not allowing us to speak our language. That was the action. Now, the impact of that is trauma and trauma legacies, right? So we have to think about what we were told. We were told one part of the story, right, which is usually the intent part. We were told that the stolen generation was about protecting Aboriginal kids, was about looking after them. There are commentators last year or the year before that were saying, take the Aboriginal kids like the way you did back the first time around that they were taken, you know, like it's just, just, oh my God, ludicrous, right? There's that part about when we are doing this critical reflection about what it is that we know and how come it is that we don't know particular things. It's to recognise what education you were given and why you were given that education. Because it's never been to paint the government in a bad way, has it? Because the government has avoided every single, every single point. You know, it's been so strategic in terms of avoiding responsibility and ownership for the harm that has been caused. This was one of the biggest things, I think, when you when you do take a look at this work. And I think this is a really good point, Dixie, because essentially as business owners, I think for so many of us, we're going, well, how can I create change and how can I take action within my business? And in fact, something that you taught me was start with yourself, start with your belief system, start mm-hmm. with information start with educating yourself and then from that place you will be able to create the most transformative powerful change as a leader in your business Mm -hmm. and so doing that learning of looking at well this is the education I received exactly what you shared before the white person intent which is absolute bullshit now I'm breaking my own rules around swearing watch Uh, yourself little lady And, you know, so that was one of the most challenging things to uncover is to then go, oh, wow. So I've been lied to about everything. Everything that I thought to be true is actually completely untrue. But that was essential for me to then rewrite my own rules and decide what was important to me around inclusivity and around being an effective ally. And so I think that you just make such a great point there in that, we as business owners really need to do that work before we can actually look at our businesses. The way that I would teach this in in a completely different context of, of business is I would say like, understand yourself really well. And in doing so, that's going to support you in your business. And mm-hmm. I feel like the same is true for if you're wanting to create any kind of inclusivity piece within your business understand your relationship to race and racism and do your best to uncover your blind spots first before you then do that work in your business. Yep, you can't go out and change the world. Like, guys, you're not going to invite someone into your house if if it's dirty, right? Don't be so entitled and so reflective of, of white privilege that you think you can just lead into these conversations without taking any form of responsibility or doing any form of critical reflection, right? So people say to me, oh, Dixie, stop calling people out, right? Like, so I just kind of started calling people out about cacao and we're not going to go down that track, right? Because that's like, I'm not in the mood. People say to me all the time, right? Like you are bullying people. You are calling people out. You were destroying their livelihoods, right? Here's the thing. If your action, either as a business owner, as a leader within a community, if what you believed in and you stood by it so strongly and the foundation was so tight, 
then me being the big bad wolf that you think that I am couldn't possibly come along and huff and puff and blow your little fragile house down. So what I would say to you is that if you were to go back and reflect on all those people that you saw being called out for performative activism, where have they gone? How come they didn't stand their ground? And how come we haven't seen more of them in terms of being an ally and being an anti-racist champion or, or, or um, advocate? Because it was all about performance, right? So what I will say to you is that as a business owner, you cannot go out there and be a part of change in the big wide world unless you have tightened up your own stuff. Get really clear on what your values are. Get really clear on how you demonstrate the values and the principles of diversity and inclusion and equity every single day in your business. Don't be tokenistic where you think, oh, I'm just going to put an acknowledgement of country on my website or I'm going to go out and get a black woman to be a part of my photo shoot. For what purpose? Who does that serve? Your ego. So who does performative action serve? Because it doesn't help me. And also I'm a very privileged black woman, right? But it doesn't hurt Aboriginal people in this country for you to tell other white people that you are an ally. Don't tell me you're an ally. Don't tell other white people that you are an ally. Show me. Where's your receipts? Show me the receipts. And when I ask for the receipts, don't get your knickers in, the, in a knot. Don't get upset. Don't personalise it. Say, all right, sis, let's have this conversation. Let's level up together. If you're asking me a question, that's feedback for me to say I've got to step up a little bit more rather than go and have a cry and be upset about it and then switch off from it, right? Like that's the risk is because it's not trending anymore and because um, no one is high-fiving you and patting you on the back and saying, thank you, you, you good white liberal woman, right? Because they're not doing that anymore. You don't care about it because it's all about social capitalism for you. What I will say to you as online business owners, if you are fair dinkum about this and you really want to get skin in the game, start with yourself. Stop going out there and trying to teach people. And so like I did all these series of workshops, right? And I do a Q&A and one client said to me, how do I teach other people to do a really good acknowledgement of country? Because I work with a lot of white women, right? Like that was the, the gist of the yarn, right? This is what she had said. This was the question because I work with white women. I want to teach them how to do a really good acknowledgement of country. And I said, do you feel like you do a really good acknowledgement of country right now? She went silent and I said, if you did it in front of me right now, how would you feel? Not what would I think? How would you feel doing it in front of me? And she said, oh, probably not great. So why do you think you can go out and teach people about this stuff, right? Stop worrying about what other people think of you and start reflecting on what you feel about yourself and how you think about yourself because you are attached to what other people think of you. I'm not attached to that. I don't find validation in the external thoughts and beliefs of other people when it comes to me being proud of myself or me loving on myself or me saying I could do better or, or you know what I mean? Like I stop attaching to external validation because external validation is a trend and people will come work, come along for the ride when it's hot and when you're not, you're dropped. The great thing about what you shared at the start there was you said, looking at your values because when you're looking at it through a value lens it changes the game and it's it's interesting when we talk about this in a business context so say 
if you are going, okay, I want to ensure that I'm focused on inclusivity within my business, which for the record is a wonderful thing if you're doing that work on yourself. But if you go, I want to focus on inclusivity within my business, it's like, great. Well, it starts with values. Same with if you want to focus on how you lead your team or any other part of your business, it starts with your values. So I really, really love that piece of advice Mm. because I think that it's so important for any business owner to be looking at business through that lens. And so that comparison or comparatively that works well in terms of an example. I think it's always unpacking why we are doing something, right? And becoming consciously aware of that. And this is the thing, right? What I will say to you is that Ladies, when you start to ask yourself some of these questions, I'm telling you, you were going down a rabbit hole and go down the rabbit hole, right? Because there is something new down there that you haven't explored yet. And they are very important and crucial lessons for you to learn about, crucial reflections for you to have and to experience with your business owner, as a business owner, as a mom, as a, as a sister, as a, as a auntie, right? Like these are really important things that you have to do and you haven't been forced to do it in the past. And now you're not even forced to do it, right? Because you can choose to turn off right you can choose to be like look there's enough problems in the world right like come on Dixie I can't enough to can't deal with everything like I get it but if it's a priority to you if it's something that you are passionate about and that you care about then you will make it a priority and also be honest with yourself about that right mm-hmm. like if it's not man it's okay it's cool I'm not going to say I'm joyful for that you know, that you don't see <laughs> anti-racism as, you know, a priority. But you only have so many marbles every single day, right? So be wise about the way that you spend them. And that's the other thing, right? Like take responsibility for your inaction. If you're not going to do anything, it's okay. But take responsibility for that because you can't pass the buck onto somebody else and say, oh, I didn't do that because I didn't know this or I didn't know that or it wasn't the right time and the opportunity didn't seem to be, you know, in alignment. So I just didn't do it, right? That's a load of rubbish. Mm-hmm. Either do something and step into it and be prepared and be courageous or do nothing and take responsibility for that. That's it. Those are your two options. Thank you so much for this work that you do. I'm so grateful that you do because I have loved learning from you so much. Thank you. Can you please share with my peeps how they can learn from you? Because I'm really excited about this new program that you've just released and I want you to share all about it, please. So I launched a new product 19th of October and it goes live. We start a live round of coaching on the 16th of November and the the course is called Constructing Critical Conversations About Race. I've designed the course because I think that there is still the missing piece of how do I go about this yarn? How do I lean into this conversation? This is some of the things that I see, right? This is a bad pitch, by the way, guys. Like, this is not a really good, you know, I would suck on Shark Tank. But the point of it is this, right, is that I know it's a problem, right? I may not be able to describe the problem really good in 90 seconds, but I know the problem is is that people talk to themselves too much internally, then they get overwhelmed, they get anxious, they freak out and they do nothing and they walk away from an opportunity that was in front of them where they could have addressed an issue about race and racism. That's what I know the problem is, right? So I have this framework where I say the most important thing for you to do at the beginning is to get clarity. 
get clarity on the issue, then have the confidence to go out and have conversations with people, learn ways that suit you as the individual ally, and then have the courage to be a part of the change. So I think constructing the critical conversations is as much about you as it is about other people. You're not going to get a home run if you can't even hit the ball, right? If you're afraid of the pitcher pitching the ball at you, right? So my job is about supporting you to find your way of being an ally because the way that, I don't know, let's say Rosie in our in our program, the way that she is an ally is very different to the way that you would be an ally and the way that Marie would be an ally and the way that Poppy would be an ally, right? Like these are all really beautiful girls that just... um women that done the program with us. And so I think it's about finding your way, but you can't find your way if you don't have a sounding board. And the thing is, is that you're not going to have a sounding board if all the people that you look around and you see as your circle of influence, the people that you debrief with, if they're all white, you can go read a book, you can listen to a podcast. But I know for me, when I've got to dive into a, into a tough conversation, I'd be debriefing with my sisters left, right and centre. What do you think? How should I go about this? This is going to be my approach. If you look around and you have no one other than white people around you that are informing you to do that, to be really disruptive and innovative and courageous in these conversations, then you're not going to be a part of the change. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news there, ladies, but that's the reality of it, right? So I designed the program simply to support you to get that clarity, to to have that confidence and to be a part of the change. But you can't get to change without clarity. So good. For the record, I think that it's an incredible program. You know already that I've been sharing it. And there's so much I could say on this around my own experience already of feeling like I've needed to have certain conversations with you to be able to create any kind of change and so the power of having you in my corner as I've navigated this has been big you've had you had black up black woman back up (laughs) I love that so much and if if you've never done it before like think about back in business right the first time that you did anything in business it was overwhelming you freak out Oh my God, this is going to go wrong. I sucked at it. That was the worst video ever. Oh my God, there's spelling mistakes, like whatever, right? There's no perfect way to get into these conversations, right? And so one of the things that I will say, and, you know, I said this back in my allies program as well, is that you need to make a really conscious decision about who you engage in these conversations and what you want the outcome of the conversation to be. Because if you are talking for the sake of talking and flexing your muscles of being an ally, that's about your ego. That's not about the actual problem, right? That's not about the the issues in front of us right now that we need to unpack. So people that are allies from my perspective, they are the ones that are compromising their ego. They're facing off with the things that are sitting in the shadows because they see that the cause is bigger than them. And so just be really clear about what you're doing, about what you want your action to be. And then when you step into these conversations, know what you want the outcome to be because not everybody is going to agree with you. You have to accept that and you have to understand that. And you have to have to be prepared to walk away from conversations. You also have to be prepared to cut people out of your lives if they do not align with what it is that you believe is being crucially important to you. So if your values are, I am an anti-racist person, 
a champion advocate. I believe in in equity. I'm a social justice advocate. And then you are surrounding yourself with people that directly oppose those values, then you have to then do a check. Do I still want to be hanging around these people any longer? Or are these values really important to me? They may not be the right values for you. And that's okay. But fuck, be honest with yourself. Oh God, there we went. There we go. <laughs> it's not a problem at all. What a perfect way to wrap this up. <laughs> Let's wrap that up. <laughs> Dixie Crawford, thank you so, so much for your time. This has been awesome. Thank you, sister. I appreciate it. <laughs>